1: You're listening to Achtung Millwall, broadcasting from the beautiful South except
0: no substitutes. Huge welcome, dear listeners, to a special guest, a special edition of Achtung Millwall. It's a big welcome to the voice of I Follow, the voice of Millwall. Mr. Carl Bates. Welcome to the show, Carl.
2: Thank you very much for having me on.
0: I was going to come up with some really weak pun about the man who fell to earth. Um, and I can't quite get a joke out of it, but you fell off your chair at Norwich. I was trying to link it in with Norwich and falling to earth and David
2: Bowie, but I failed <laughs> in
0: that task. How, how are you? How's your, how's your coccyx after that little tumble that week went? Uh
2: Yeah, yeah, all right. All right. I mean, I was, most people have sinned on. So (laughs) The the chair
0: came off worst, shall we say. The chair came off worst. I won on points. You beat the chair up, yeah. It it, it was one of the more amusing moments of the season so far. Um, I mean, I've just described you as the voice of Milwaukee. It's it's a strange responsibility to have, Carl. I mean, you you are the the voice of I follow, and at the moment, even though some of us may rebel against it, the, the season is a televisual experience, isn't it? So therefore you are carrying quite a burden on your shoulders when you you, you pick up your microphone of a Saturday afternoon or
2: Tuesday night whatever uh yeah I mean you're you're at the coalface basically um everybody knows you as you say as the as I, as I follow almost collectively there isn't a Mr. I follow so if the sort of visuals don't work unfortunately it ends up on my shoulders I mean when I get to the ground. I plug in all the commentary equipment. I have an ISDN trial line, which you dial in to prove, to make sure that at the stadium the ISDN lines are working fine. I then dial into iFollow. I can see that I'm linked up. And you know, it's so disappointing when the game starts and suddenly I can see tweets and I get the odd text message we can't hear you, or that you know we've got no visuals or the audio's all crackly, or we've only got the opposition commentary. Um here, yeah, which is it's really frustrating because you're doing your best, but I'm very limited on what I can do. We've got an i follow um number, which I'll get either say Billy to ring or Max or whoever, yeah, to explain the problem, but apart from that we're 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 stuck basically we we just have to carry on and hope that we get the news through that it's working again, okay,
0: yeah, and it's you know it's obviously been a strange season in that way, so we are all very much dependent on i follow i in fairness and obviously listeners might well bombard me with messages to the contrary but after the crawley mishap at the start of the season which was a which was a poor start but since yes. then for me it's been largely okay carl i mean i have even discovered now that when when you go away that you're on a different channel on, on the on, you know so i've made big advances on my command of i follow but it's been largely okay in, in all honesty as, as the season's progressed you're in do you get much feedback in in real time as the game goes along
2: Um, No, not normally. I mean, I might get the odd person that will say they've had problems. They're just like you do with any computer system or whoever you're um, listening to the game. They've got to log off, log on again and everything's worked fine. So, yeah, as you say, so far, touch wood, it seems to be working okay. So hopefully long may it continue.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I I bring you onto the show to to, not to damn you, but to praise you, Carl. I I think (laughs) you do a... A great job. And it's a difficult role to commentate. I I sent some notes over listeners to Carl before we started speaking today. And one of the things I noted to myself is that I think it's a bit like football management, Carl. Everyone thinks they can have a go at being a commentator, don't they? It's a very hard job
2: to do well. And I think you do it very well, mate. Oh, um, well, thank you very much. Um, it's hard to commentate generally, but also with iFollow, it's hard to commentate because you're doing radio and TV at the same time. Yeah,
0: you're two, two-handed, aren't you, in that sense? Yeah.
2: So some of the listeners will have a better view than myself, and they're looking at replays and this, that, and the other, and obviously some can't. And you... You don't want to state the obvious as people can clearly see that if they've got visuals, but then you can't let the pictures do the talking as if people are listening via audio, they've no idea where the ball is. So you've got to try and find a happy medium, which obviously isn't easy, but you know, thankfully by the sounds of things and the general consensus me and max are doing okay
0: visual i mean radio and tv two very different disciplines in in that sense because as you say with radio you're kind of painting a picture with your words whilst you don't really need that so much with the the video stream but it's 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 a bit of an art form i mean i i, I defy anyone that thinks they can have a go to get on live um, stream television or or radio and, and see how it feels. It's a nerve wracking experience. I mean, if, do, do you get used to it? Have you, have you become used to it, or do you still get nervous before a game?
2: Oh, you always get nervous. But most of it's excitement. It's the adrenaline of it. I mean, there's. I mean, especially if you've got a full you know crowd in at the den or something. The yeah. the, the teams are coming out. The the sheer noise in and around you. You know, you press all the buttons. Right, you ready, Max? Yep. Three, two, one, go. And oh it's just incredible. It's you know, even now I've got goosebumps on my arms just thinking about it. It's yeah, it's something I think you can't fall into it. You either can or can't, I suppose. Um, and you're also multitasking. You haven't got time to really worry about things because you're doing so many different things at, at one time. I'm keeping an eye on Twitter and text messages. Again, like I said about I follow. I'm keeping an eye on the latest scores from around the grounds, listening to BBC London if they want to come to me for an update. And in all that, I've got a commentator as well. So you don't really have time to. I suppose look at the bigger picture and think, Christ, there's thousands of people listening. I don't want to fluff this or I don't want to do that. You just get on with it. And I'm, you know, I'm lucky. I work with a great team, uh, Billy and the crew, with Max, Mark, Sammy, Tonksy. You know, they made me very welcome really quickly. We get on really well. There's plenty of banter flying around, but when we need to be serious, you know, we are. We look out for each other and help when we can. And you know, hopefully, it comes across that way because we are a, a solid team. You know, we get on really, really well.
0: I mean, I listened to some, uh, until I discovered that you can switch channels. I was listening to the Way game. It wasn't, no, Norwich wasn't too bad. Um, it was a Northern, one of the Northern games away. And I listened to their commentary. And, you know, I I, I think it's really, I mean, I, I'm not here to knock anyone else, but it's, I, I think the job that you do is, obviously you're, you're just speaking from a Millwall perspective, but I do find your comments and, and Max actually quite balanced. I mean, it's not, it's not 100% with, um, with more glasses on. You, you're trying to pick up the, the, the balance of play generally, whereas there is a contrast with some of the others that I've listened to. I'll say no more than that because I'm not here to, to, to slag anyone else off. But you, you do try and capture a, a balanced take on the game. Would you, would, you, would, you, you know, would you agree that you strive for that?
1: Or how
2: do you see yeah. it? Yeah, I strive for that. I mean, obviously, myself and Max will try and analyse Millwall players' performances above the opposition. Of course, yeah. If if certain players are playing well, you want to highlight that or if somebody you feel just needs to do this. I mean, for example, Conor Mahoney, I would love to get the ball and constantly run at the opposition. That's his strength. And I think sometimes he just lacks a bit of confidence and maybe needs to, you know, sort of get his shoulders out and think, right, I'm going to, you know, make your life hell. So there'll be things like that that I'll mention. But, um, yeah, credit where credit's due. You have to trust people. You know, the people that are listening or watching the game, they understand understand football it's no point me trying to tell you something that's just not happening because you can see or hear with your own (laughs) eyes and ears that that's not the case it's no point me saying for example the Millwall Norwich game or Norwich are hanging on by a thread the way Millwall took that throw in on the halfway like oh they're in big trouble because it was very much a backs to the wall performance we barely got out of our half but we defended with our lives as if they depended on it and we deserved a point because football's about attack and defense so you know, you have to look at a game honestly. You want Millwall to do well, but you have to sometimes just put your hands up, say Norwich were the better team, but nonetheless, we deserved a point. It's an
0: interesting. I was speaking to Mike Hayden on one of the recent shows, and it's an interesting contrast in nil-nil draws between the Norwich result and then the Sheffield Wednesday result two very different nil-nil draws. One leaving you feeling like you've, you know, the backs of the wall, feeling that you've come away with something, and the other, not so much. It's, it's, it, it must be tough. With a game like Sheffield Wednesday, because it was a, it was a, it was a hard watch. I mean, that's not not down to your commentary. That's down to the the action on the pitch. You're trying to make the most of often quite thin gruel, aren't you?
2: Yeah, I mean, what I try and do in games like that, I've done plenty of research. I'll keep an eye on other games. I'll then maybe because you've got the time you can concentrate more on the players the formation um maybe the league tables talk more generally more than what's happening at the in the game because the game as you say was quite a stale affair there wasn't many chances to put it mildly and the game you know drifted (laughs) yeah i cut off the top of my head i'm really trying to think I'm trying I'm trying to think of something that happened in the game that I could comment on. I think there was Leonard scuffed that from the edge of the I board.
0: think Matt Smith heading wide with nine times yeah. of ten. Oh, yeah. In, in was that, that was, that and, was the, the main
2: uh, thing that lived with me. And Hutchinson as well, wasn't it, from the corner? Yeah. But, Absolutely. Um, yeah, that, um, that was that.
0: I mean, you've mentioned preparation and listeners aren't, I mean I, I can't show you Carl's preparation because he said he'd have to kill me if I if I did display it. <laughs> but I mean it's it's there's a lot of info that you take into a game um, Carl. I mean you 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 know the, the spreadsheet that you, you showed me with its many variations of the you know the team formations and, and the information against players and the photos. And all. That's a lot of prep that you're putting in there, mate. I'll take my hat off to you because I I don't do anything like that.
2: Well, I think, I mean, I love doing the research for a start. I don't class it as a chore. It's one of, I find it honestly one of the perks of the job I do. I I love being a nerd being released and, um, yeah, (laughs) going through endless research because you never know, for example, if Sheffield Wednesday or Norwich, whoever, play a curveball and bring in somebody from the youth team that no one's ever seen play before. I need to have a little bit of knowledge about them just in case they unfortunately go and score a hat-trick or something. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you find I find out various stats. There's a, one I quite often use is how good we are away from home in regards to clean sheets if we go ahead in games, how we are very, very hard to break down and get back into the matches, but we struggle when we go behind. Things like that, they're there almost as a safety blanket to an extent. I may not use all of them, but if I do need anything there, I'm never short of knowledge on either players or background on the game.
0: I mean, you made a great point to me that the more information you've got, the more, the more colour you're going to bring to the, to, the, to the moments in the game. It's all about having that information to hand so it's there if you need it. And 90% perhaps you don't even touch, do you? I mean, a lot of that will be, you know, not, not used in, in a regular game.
2: No, the only, I mean, one of the benefits is once you've done all of that work, for example, when we play, well, because we played Norwich and Sheffield Wednesday recently, when we play them at home, I've then got all of the information I've already done the research on. So you're just tweaking it more than anything, anything that's happened since the last fixture. Other than that, you know. Um, the details about certain players, whether they've been playing internationally or um, if they've come up through the academy, if they've been signed from wherever, if they're, say, six foot six or whatever that may be. Yeah. You've got that information already, so you've put in the hard yards with the first game, so you haven't got as much to do on the second. How, and, did, yeah.
0: you, how did you come into it? How did you get into commentary? I mean, what was your... Um... What was your lead into? I mean, I know you've, you've been doing this for a couple of years now at Millwall, and I'm, um, mm-hmm. I can't remember when I first heard your voice. But it's been, seems has a couple of years at least. Correct me if I'm if I'm wrong there. But how did you get into it? What what, what was your lead into commentating, and how did you how did you start?
2: Well, first of all, the first game for Millwall, I was blooded into a typical Millwall performance, 2-0 <laughs> up, up at home at Middlesbrough with about four minutes to go. Two oh, yeah, draw. I remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Yeah, here comes a long throw in. Oh, we can't defend them. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, actually, commentating itself, I've been doing for 12 years. Right. But, uh, you know, it was a long and windy road to get there. Um, I started at Hospital Radio many moons ago. Okay. Unfor- okay. Unfortunately, my mum passed away in 93. Right. was 17 at the time and it was obviously very traumatic a couple of years after that i just happened to work with somebody that did hospital radio my mum listened to the hospital radio unfortunately when she was um, dying with terminal cancer and so no. it was almost like a bit of self-healing sort of so i went along did hospital radio with uh, john we did that for a while i really enjoyed it and um, we then uh, he lived out near lincoln way and he they found a new radio station that was starting up called Boundary Sound. We sent off our stuff. We were given a Saturday morning slot. Uh, we did a bit of radio there. I think it was 9 till 12. We did that for quite a while. And then I just sent my CV off completely blind to the BBC. So, hi, my name's Carl Bates. I like da 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 I put I like football, this is what I sound like, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, and got stupidly, and I mean stupidly lucky. I was sitting at home one, <laughs> one Tuesday one Tuesday night yep. and I got a call. Hello, this is Emma Joslin from the BBC. I'm... She had a really long job title. And um, we're, look, we're looking for somebody to come in and guest read out the full-time scores live on BBC this Saturday. Are you free? I thought, like, oh, i will just check the diary. Uh, yeah, you, yeah. You made
0: yourself free, Carla.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Cleared the diary. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought one of my mates had found out for a wind-up. And yeah, this. Yeah. So I've told up this is, a, this is a, again, showing me age of touch. This was when BBC was still at White City. So I've, right. gone, a, I've gone along... I uh, walked in the door, got to reception very sheepishly, hi, on am um, Carl Bates, I'm here to read out the full top scores, <laughs> yep, yep, Mr Bates, no problem, go and sit over there, I was like, oh Christ, this is real, um, so <laughs> sat there absolutely crapping it, as you can imagine, I got yeah. the call through, you go through those sort of famous doors that Terry Wogan used to walk through for children in need and what have you, I walked in and there was Gary Lineker with having Zoe Ball in a headlock, giving her a head. Yeah, this is just <laughs> beyond nuts now. I got to meet um, Peter Smichael, Alan Hansen, Mark and They're all sitting in like the TV lounge watching nine flat screens of all the latest games at three o'clock kickoff. And the guy, the runner said to me, right, sit down with these guys, watch the games and we'll come and see you later on. So I'm sitting there with European Cup winners, multi-league winners, etc., and they're asking my opinion on football. They're like, oh, Carl, what do you think of Santa? <laughs> I thought, who fucking cares? <laughs> You've won the champions. You? a surreal the- situation. Yeah. God, they're asking my great. opinion. It's wow. just like, I once scored a goal for my, my, my college team in a game that won us a dreadful little medal. And that's about it. And so, yeah, so I sat with them, went through that. And then um, James Alexander Gordon read out the full-time scores at five o'clock. And then right. Ray, Ray Stubbs passed it over to me. And to over 3 million people, I read out the full-time scores on BBC One. Didn't fluff it. Thank God. And um, Yeah, exactly. And then, um, obviously, my CV went from not much to something very quickly. There was then an advert on the Guardian website, Football Commentators Wanted. Um, So, again, sent my stuff along. And it was to cover Barnet. Right. Um, Went down there, met a guy who, uh, Barry, I owe him everything. He helped me so, so much. I went along. He, he said to me right you're just going to read out the latest scores off my um, laptop but if you fancy co-commentating press this button and you can have a go so at the time I thought I'm never going to get another chance press the button went for it he really liked the sort of um, the way it flowed so he offered me the voluntary role so for a year and a half I traveled up and down the country co-commentating on um, Barnet right. and then barry moved on to do other work and because bbc london knew that i'd done the hard yard i knew the program i knew, knew the people rolled.
0: involved yeah i guess exactly
2: yeah. i then just moved sideways and became wow. on the payroll and off we went sort of thing wow that's always interesting to me i mean there's, there's,
0: there's generally when you hear anyone's story of, of, of this kind there's always a mixture of skill and and, and luck i mean luck, oh, luck definitely plays, luck plays its part doesn't it um of course it does, and then does. you have to exploit that luck it's, Without being too trite about it it's, it's a combination
1: oh
2: definitely i mean you think you know i, I for not one minute think that there's not m- thousands of people better at commentating than myself but there's thousands of people that would not for a year and a half have traipsed up and down the country covering barnet where it's costing you money to travel to get hotels to get the train tickets to drive to god you know i was I was c- covering games at hereford yeah morcombe torquay you know you're putting in the hard yards and i think sometimes people when they watch <laughs> reality shows forget that you don't just get to go on The Voice or X Factor or whatever, and within a couple of weeks, you're a multimillionaire. It doesn't work like
0: that. No, it doesn't work like that. I mean, I, 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 when I when we first met up with Aaron at Love Sport Radio, I mean, I, I was really <clears> nervous. <throat> nervous. If I'm going to be honest with yourself and anyone listening to this show, I mean, it's one thing to do a podcast, which is basically me sat in my, my, my front room speaking to, a, to a, a laptop. It's another thing entirely what you do, because you're speaking direct to, you know, I don't know how what kind of, um, numbers the, the I follow, it. but you know thousands and thousands of people, and millions, as you said at the start of the, of the conversation. Mm-hmm. That's quite. Um, it's quite nerve. I found it very nerve wracking. I'm going to be honest, mm-hmm. and I don't think I ever quite lost it whenever I was in the studio with Aaron. But mm-hmm. I really admired those that do it and do it well because it's it's not an easy task at all. No, it's
2: it's definitely it's something you get used to. I must admit, obviously, the first few times, especially when I did my first ever commentary as the main commentator the lead it was yeah yes it was Barnett uh at Chesterfield Barnett won 1-0 it was the first ever game at the oh, whatever the ground was called b 65 or something Chesterfield's new ground anyway oh, right. and I'd imagine if you listen to that commentary I was dreadful I threw it I was fluffing things I was too nervous I was overthinking I was doing this I was doing that it was mm. patchy it was a four out of ten at best okay but once you get over that initial nerves and you start believing, hang on a second, I can do this, I've done this before, so on and so on, you then get over that and you, you don't focus too much on the mistakes that you've, you've made. You know, like when you're playing football or whatever you're doing, you know when you've had a good day. I know when a goal goes in, if it flows perfectly, when I'm talking through the goal itself, you get a good feeling about that because you know it went really well, it flowed nicely and that linked in with the goal. And so you get you get a good buzz like that. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes you will get a name wrong, especially if it's a goal line scramble or something, and then the ball hits the net and everybody piles onto a goal scorer. But, yeah, you just, I suppose, learn to live with the nerves and turn it into adrenaline more than anything.
0: Well, well said. Who, who do you admire in the commentary world, uh, Carl? Do you have any personal... Um, You know commentators you 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 say yeah that that's that's what i would like to sound like or that's what i'd like to be does it work like that for you
1: yeah
2: um i mean when i grew up um it was the big match on sunday and brian moore brian moore was the main commentator master absolute master yeah. Exactly. And um, I mean, his iconic commentary, I think it was Michael Thomas's winning goal against Liverpool to seal the title. Yes. Itali- yeah. And it's Italia 90 where Stuart Pierce missed in the shootout with Germany. It was so simple, the commentary itself, but it was so effective. I remember it clear as day, Pierce is just about to run up and Brian Walker's and now Stuart Pierce saved. Oh no. And that's all he said, but it made perfect sense. Cause that's exactly how you felt. You're thinking yeah. we're going to the World Cup. We're going to the World Cup. Pierce he won't miss shit he did he, he yeah. has. and that yeah. was the th- you know and it was all it was was two words but it made perfect sense so he was him and barry davis on bbc as well they were the main two that i listened to and admired the most i've just finished reading actually a book by barry davis which is very interesting
0: Big commentator in my youth used to be David Coleman, and you knew if if David Coleman was picking up the commentary, it was a big game. So it was generally reserved uh, for your World Cups and the European Cup finals and so on. So and he had a very dramatic. Um, I always, even now, I mean, there's a, there's a there's a magnetism to the commentator because he would do this one nil, one nil, you know, and it, it just it just added to the drama. A little bit like what you touched on with Brian Moore, because it becomes part of the event. It's um, you have a unique input to a sports event without being part of the
2: of the action on the field. Well, that's a cracking point, actually, what you mentioned there in regards to commentary. If there's a goal that is so important to you and your football team, whoever that may be, whether that be England, Melbourne, whoever your choice is, that important goal that you see on the television, where you hear that commentary to that goal, you take that commentary away and that goal does not seem remotely as good as it would do with the actual commentary, or even worse, if somebody else commentates on that goal. So if you've heard, say, I don't know, say it was uh, Sam Matterface commentating and he describes a goal, and that's when you saw it for the first ever time, and then you get Jonathan Pearce commentating on it, the goal won't seem as good, even though it's exactly the same goal, because it's that commentary that gives you those goosebumps, that tingle, that moment when the ball hit the net.
0: I agree. And if, if anyone doubts that point, I'm going to point them to the nineteen sixty six World Cup final, and if you contrast, some people are on the pitch. They mm-hmm. think it's all over. There is actually an alternative ITV commentary, which I, I think might be Brian Moore, actually. But mm-hmm. I'm sure you can find this on YouTube. And the fourth goal that wins the World Cup, he it, it, it does it justice. But it's not the iconic. Some people are on the pitch. They think it's all over. It is now. It, it, that mm-hmm. that is the moment. That 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 Kenneth Wilson home. Little, uh, you know, almost almost poetic, isn't it? That that is yeah. that is the moment. He's, it goes with the sports event itself.
2: Yeah. If you don't hear that commentary, as you say, obviously it's still a World Cup winning goal, but yep. doesn't quite have the same edge to it. It has the magic. It has the magic,
0: Carl. I want to move along. I want to move along to Millwall seasons. It's been a strange, a strange season generally. Um, obviously, you're commentating in empty stadiums. Um, we'll come Which back. It's very to, strange. We'll come back to that in a, in a in a in a moment. I mean, it's from a Millwall um, fans' perspective. I, I, we've had this debate a few times on the show so far. I mean, we are at the moment. I think we're ninth. I haven't checked the table. and I'm sure it was ninth coming into the, the international break. Um, and we, but it 's been a patchy patchy campaign Um we had some really good performances and in in phases in games we've looked pretty good, but just hasn 't quite ignited i mean I just wondered if you a, if you agree with that um, statement and also whether you think the lack of fans is a particular um, you know, a, a particular obstacle for for millwall particularly to to cross it takes it takes some of the energy out of,
2: a, of the event doesn 't it Yeah, I think so. Um, For example, at home, I think it really, really makes a big difference. I don't think the Huddersfield performance would have been acceptable had the den been full for a start. I think we just never got going. And I think when the game was 1-0, and Millwall were just struggling to get going, I think with the crowd there, Millwall would have got that equaliser and maybe pushed on for the win, but they wouldn't have been beaten 3-0. On the road, I think... It doesn't make much difference to no. a Gary Rowett side. Defensively, I'm always astounded with how good we are on the road. We, You look at the games this season in the league, I think the only goals that we've actually conceded have been our own mistakes. The Wickham game, obviously, unfortunately, Bart come a cropper. Yep. And, and the two against Swansea, Romeo thought he could just usher the ball out. And the other one, we had three or four players go on each other's way instead of clearing the ball for the second. Apart from that, clean sheet, clean sheet, clean sheet. The obvious problem, unfortunately, is the other end. And um, we've had yeah. no, no luck in injuries for a start.
0: No. Yeah. You know, say, say that again. Um, <laughs> I, mean, I was I was interested to see Troy Parrott. Um, I think it was he appeared for the Republic of Ireland's under-21s, I think, um, mm-hmm. over the weekend, um, which is going to be interesting. So we, we haven't really had a view of him yet. He, he does look promising, doesn't he? Um, mm-hmm. But it will be interesting to see him in, in, in men's football, so to speak, rather than the, the level that he's been playing at so far. I mean, have you had, I suppose you've seen any, anything of him more than we have, really, Carl, have you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I saw him um, pre-season when he actually got the injury. Um, yeah. I can't remember who was that. Was it Southend? I can't remember whichever game it was. Southend, I think. It was off, Southend. Yeah, yeah. Think. he looked good. He looked um, very, should we say, streetwise as an attacker. He was very good at running the channel in between the centre half and the fullback, sort of just dropping into that area between the right-sided centre half and the right-back, making that sort of diagonal run. Um, and was causing South End problems with no disrespect to South End. Mm. But but it was the type of run that would cause any team problems. Yep. it's not as well it's South End, anybody could score past them. It was the right he was making the right type of runs. He looked dangerous. Um, obviously we only saw Sahor for a very limited time, but again, he played well, obviously took his goal very well. It was a really nice goal by Millwall. I York thought that was
0: very promising, Carl. I mean, mm. what, what a shame to see him you know, fall by the wayside, but I thought he really did look like a prospect. Um, But but I doubt we'll see much of him now because now the Parrot's on the way back, his loan period will be up, I guess, by the time he gets back to any kind of fitness.
2: Yeah, and I'd imagine if he is back, I can't imagine that West Brom are going to allow Zahor to maybe play one or two games and get get himself injured again. They'll probably want to take him back under their wing and um, make sure his rehab, well, they take his time. He's not a player pushing for first-team football, so they can take his time. Um, I think with uh, Zahor and Parrot, I mean, obviously we've got Bradshaw and Smith, but um, they, give totally, they give two different angles to the team. I mean, you look at, you know, I think Gary would like to find a striker with a mixture of the two, because mm. he, he needs somebody to press from the front when you're playing with three up top, but he wants that aerial threat if the likes of Romeo and Malone get down the flanks. And with Smith, he's obviously very, very good in the air, but he's not the most mobile so you can't defend from the front with Smith because the two centre halves will just do a quick one 2 and they're round him and off and they're attacking the midfield mm. while with while with Tom. He works his socks off. He ch- he chases every lost cause known to man. But the way Mill will play doesn't suit or doesn't seem to suit him as a lone striker down the middle. He needs like a Smith, for example, to play off. And he doesn't have that as a as a one man up front. He gets very limited chances in a game. So He's putting in a shift, and I think we've said that numerous times on commentary, and I'm sure other people say that when they're watching at home. But putting in a shift isn't going to get us goals. Something needs to change in there.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I I do feel for Tom Bradshaw. I Mm. think he he reminds me of Lee Gregory, and I know Gregory's moved on, but he's a similar Mm. kind of player in that he's very willing, very honest. And as you say, right, he he will chase everything. But um, it's all about balls in the back of the net. And unfortunately, that's, that's where a strike was ultimately ultimately judged but it's it's a tough season Carl I mean I'm just looking at the December the late November and uh, December fiction list and it's pretty much Saturday Wednesday Saturday Tuesday it's, it's a it's a relentless schedule and I, I, I mean I was reading just before we came on online um, about the Premier League wanting five substitutes which well, there may or may not be an argument for that but um, it certainly does find out this you know that it stretches a squad and I think our squad has been stretched. Going into the international break a little bit. I think we saw that, you know, um up at up at Sheffield. Do you, you favour more substitutes? Would you would you see that as a good
2: idea or Um I don't know in all honesty, because that's all well and good if you're a Man City or a Chelsea Liverpool or a Liverpool yeah. You've got endless substitutes that you can bring on, not a problem. I and mean, if Mill will pick up any more injuries, unfortunately, Shane Ferguson's been injured playing for yeah, um, Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland. Yeah. He's, hurt, he's hurt his back, which is something that's happened before. So he could be out for quite a while. Um, you know, let's say Mill are allowed five substitutes, and that's not been disrespectful to anybody. We get a couple more injuries, and who are the five substitutes going to be? While you look at another team, like, I don't know, easy example Norwich, because we've played them recently they've got quality in depth. When I was doing my research on them, I couldn't believe how long their squad list was. I kept scrolling down and scrolling down, and scrolling. Christ, this is never going to end. So it gives, as I'm sure the likes of Liverpool and Man City are angling for, it gives them another advantage as if they need one in the first place. So I'd rather stick with three because, well, I I don't want the game broken up every five minutes either. I know you're only supposed to make three breaks. But nonetheless, that will be hankered. If you're winning, you can guarantee somehow those three breaks will turn into four or it will take a lot longer because two players will go down with cramp, one miles away one side and one miles away the other side that both need subbing and oh, it will just be chaos.
0: It's that awful modern idea of game management. I kind of hate hmm. that phrase. And I know, I know you can't escape it, but it's, it's just one of those... Um, it's a bit like playing out from the back, Carl. I mean, I, I hate that as well. I, I, can't, I can't, can't reconcile myself to that, but... There mm-hmm. we, there we go. Like I said at the start of the conversation, we're doing we're doing okay, and to be ninth mm-hmm. um, from a mill perspective is a really good position to be. in. I think sometimes perspective can be a little hard, be a little bit hard to come by in, the, in these situations, especially after a difficult away game such as what we had at Hillsborough the other day. If we can, you know, if we can make a, a similar kind of return from the next um, phase of the season mm-hmm. into Christmas, and we're in 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 there or thereabouts, that's that's the ideal of what you want from a you know, from a promotion push point of view at the end of the day.
2: Yeah, it's it's a balance, isn't it? Because Millwall are good defensively and struggling to score, it can be looked upon as a negative, but we're ninth. I think if Millwall was scoring five or six, but letting him four, and then losing the next game five, four, and then winning the next one three, two, people would, I suppose, live with it to an extent, but you still end up with the same amount of points. So yes, like the Sheffield Wednesday game wasn't the most exciting by any stretch of the imagination, but Millwall with a limited budget a lot of injuries are still only a couple of points outside the playoffs and still away from home are picking up victories and getting points. If they can sort it out at home and get say Parrot fit, for example, and if Parrot starts scoring a few goals, Millwall are in the playoffs. There's no question. Millwall will move up a couple of spaces in the league and they will be, because the season is just so bizarre with no crowds there. No. It's all it's all about unity and keeping focus more than anything. And I think Um, in Gary Rowett's team with the (laughs) likes of Alex Pearce, Sean Williams, etc. He's got some really good eggs, shall we say, within the squad that are keeping the team together. I mean, Alex Pearce, I just love to pieces. The bit, I mentioned it on um, commentary and on Twitter, at Sheffield Wednesday, he was so, so funny. Because the teams had to get changed at different sides of the pitch, Sheffield Wednesday had come out to warm up already Millwall was stuck in the far, the far corner flag and had to come across the Sheffield Wednesday half of the pitch to get into the Millwall side of the pitch to warm up. And so, so Alex Pierce waited for all the Millwall players to get there together. Every Millwall player ran down the touchline to get into the other, the other half. Pearcey didn't. Pearcey ran straight down the middle, clap, clapping as he does, <laughs> getting in the way of all of the Sheffield Wednesday players warming up. They, they had to stop kicking the ball around, and Piercy's just running straight down the middle. Big and you know that sort of character is great for the team, great for morale. And you can see when Millwall play on the pitch, they really, really work hard for each other. And that's why Millwall are sitting ninth in the table. Yes, we could do with a, a 3 4 nil thumping of somebody. But at the moment, that's really, really unlikely. So we are going to have to scrape by with nil-nils, one-nils here and there. But if it keeps Millwall in the mix, you know, you can live with it. Absolutely.
0: And I just want to mention Gary Rowett. I think that um, there's, there's an interesting piece in the... Daily Mirror, I don't know if you saw it, but uh, Jude Bellingham um, made a point of saying thank you to to Gary Rowe when we visited Birmingham City last season because of the amount Mm -hmm. of support that he felt he received from Gary Rowe. Um, And, you know, you mentioned the squad strength of feeling in the squad at the moment. I think, you know, I think we've been really lucky to get Gary Rowett, I think, you know, yeah, when, yeah. when you think of where life could be um, and where life is right now, to be ninth with a manager of the calibre of Gary Rowett, um, I, I, you know, it, things could be a lot worse at the day, believe me. And, um, you know, I, I just wanna, wanted to say that because that was a really interesting piece by a player that's clearly on the up, you know, Bellingham is mm, definitely England player now. Um, and yet he took time out to say thank you to Gary Rowett. It speaks volumes for the man, I think.
2: Oh, no, absolutely. And I think one of Gary's main strengths is that sort of clarity and the honesty. You know, he comes across really well. Very in honest. Post, Very in honest. Post-match interviews, he'll explain what he was trying to achieve in that game, where it went well, where there was room for improvement. And I'd imagine he's the same behind the scenes. So everybody knows what's required of them. And I'm sure praise is handed out when you do what he has asked of you. But also... I can't imagine it be. I'm not imagining he's going to call somebody out on it, but he'll definitely have a word and make sure you understand exactly what is expected of you, and you will do it correctly next, because there are players on the bench that will take your spot if necessary.
0: Absolutely, he doesn't strike me as anyone's fool either. You know, he's, he's mm. not going to. He, he, won't, he he's, he's, he's an avuncular guy, but he doesn't seem like he puts up with any nonsense, and that's that's that is what we want in a Millwall manager. So, um, you know, hats off to to Gary Rowett. <laughs>
1: Hi everyone, it's Brian King, Millwall goalkeeper from 1967 to 1975. I spent the happiest years of my playing career at the Den and I'd love to share some of the memories, stories and personalities with you in my new book, The Lion's King. In my time, I've met some amazing characters including Harry Cripps, Barry Kitchener, Sir Alf Ramsey, as well as the great Gordon Banks and Lev Yashin himself. My book is packed with laughs, tears, tragedies, and triumphs. So join me in my journey down Cold Blow Lane and beyond. The Lion's King, available now for 19.99 at www.littlehellbooks.com. That's www.littlehellbooks.com. Come on, you
0: Lions. Now, we've touched on um, the, the lack of fans, uh, and that kind of links in with the the financial situation that many, many clubs are finding themselves in. You've mentioned Norwich and, and their extensive squad now, comparatively uh, sparser, you know, a group of players. Um Oh, you've been quite outspoken, Carl. I wanted to touch on, on, on the, um, the, the lack of fans in stadia because you've been quite outspoken on, online. You're quite a critic of the, of the current situation.
2: Yeah, um, 100%. I, it just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, the government have asked clubs to make their grounds COVID secure. So they're making a place of work, the same as any other business in the country, you need to make your place of work COVID secure. A football club has done that. Millwall, I know, and other clubs have spent hundreds of thousands of pounds doing this. We've run pilot schemes across the country. They worked perfectly fine. There was no increase in COVID cases in those areas. And yet in one throwaway sentence, Boris Johnson and the government banned clubs from having fans for six months with no real logic behind it. It was just, you know, pre-lockdown, we could go to a pub. You could watch the game indoors. You could even go to the den and watch the game indoors. Yeah. But, and you've got a ground outside that holds just over 20,000. And no, oh, no, you can't. go You can't
0: sit too <laughs> apart from each other with a, <laughs> a, a one third capacity or, or whatever the, the figure was. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, it, this is not a political show, but it just <clears> strikes <throat> me how little understanding there is in our government of the major sports that, that, that you know that, that um is the kind of heartbeat of the country in many respects i mean i the i've no expert on how covid passes between you but I'd, yeah. I'd say you've got more chance sitting in a pub where you're all on the sauce and you're going to be you know the rules will start to fray around the edges as the evening progresses than you do in a, a sports stadium outdoors you know it just doesn't make sense to me but i think it's that basic yeah. understanding or lack of
2: but it's well, it's, I think the problem is that a lot of uh, people within the government still look at football fans in a very draconian way. They still imagine that there's still horrendous crowd trouble and that we all drag our knuckles and that we're back in the '80s again. Yeah. You know, where there was obviously crowd trouble was very apparent and very real. Um, but now, you know, football stadiums aren't like that. You know, they're all seated stadiums. We have a lot of clubs. In- especially Mill will work very hard with the junior lions and things like that. It's, it's not the same. And it's people's mental health. You know, football's a religion to some people. I know it to me, I know to one. me, yeah, I know to me during the first lockdown, I found it really, really hard to function. And unless you're a sports fan, that sounds bonkers. But to any football fan listening in will feel exactly the same. And the government has a sports minister that doesn't understand sport. You know, you can't have, I find it, I will always find it bizarre, that somebody in government can go from being, say, the sports minister. Right, I'm going to change jobs. I'm now going to be in charge of transport or health or education. <laughs> I can't. I can't do that. Oh, you've worked for the BBC before, right? I want you as first director on East on EastEnders tomorrow. Off you go. It's like, no, what? No. I don't know how to do that. But in government, that seems fine. And I, I just don't understand. And the fact that they opened the uh, the Royal Ballet, the Albert Hall you know, indoor performances that the the sports minister, yeah, that the sports minister attended and then they have the cheek to say that, you know, you can't go to a football match which is outdoors and again, far more spaced out than the Albert Hall ever will be. So that, you know, just gripes me and I, Probably need to get off my soapbox soon because I'm going to start getting overexcited. So um, yeah, yeah it, it, it 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 it's just not fair, basically.
0: No, it's listeners. It's I'm It's class based. That's not Carl saying that.
2: It's me. Yeah. Class based. You mm. don't have to say that, Carl. Because no, it's it's discrimination against sport. It's that simple. I think. Absolutely. You know, there's no there's no logic to it. You can't prove otherwise. There's no there's no you know. It's not all we need to look after people due to COVID. No, you can't. Yeah, anyway, yep, carry on. Right.
0: <laughs> Well, I wanted to. I just wanted to close us, if I may, Carl, with, with something that is is personal to you. And I, I asked before we spoke, listeners, if Carl was happy to discuss this because you you have a, a, a piece in your um, Twitter bio um, mentioning that you are an epileptic a sufferer of epilepsy, Carl. Um, it's not a condition that I know much about. I'm going to be upfront. I was curious if if you're happy to discuss it because i have I've been in an office where you know one of my colleagues a long while ago suffered with with epilepsy and it's uh, it's it's a it's a disconcerting thing to be around if you're if you have no knowledge of it so I just wanted to a ask you about it how you find it in your life and, and how you manage it and whether you know whether it has any impact um generally on 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 the way that you the way that you live um i don't know if i've introduced that subject particularly no
2: no no that's fine no no um well basically just to give people a brief background on my own um life with epilepsy i was diagnosed when i was 23 so i had right. nothing wrong with me at all no signs nothing nothing like that at all it wasn't like i've been in a car accident nothing mm-hmm. like that It was just it was quite a funny story which is bizarre but um <laughs> basically i know it will make sense and um, <laughs> basically i was around my wife's uh mother-in-law mother-in-laws they were having a family picture taken says my wife her mum and her sisters and they're all having their picture taken and um I was pulling faces behind the camera to make them smile and whilst pulling faces to make them smile I went one stage further and started having a fit now I would love to know when they suddenly thought that's quite, a, <laughs> that's quite a funny face he's pulling in. I'm not quite sure. You know, there must have been a point in that where they thought, he's not messing about. Something's going on. Where does the
0: entertainment end and the yeah. epileptic fit start? Uh, that's a good <laughs> one. I, I like that e- one. Exactly.
2: And, yeah, exactly. and as Jen, that is 100% true. And um, yeah, so, but to me, all I remember was I was around their house and now I'm in hospital. And, well, there was, and that's the scary thing with epilepsy. I could have a seizure tonight or never again. Right, um, so you,
0: you don't know. It's literally that, um, no. that that random event in that sense. You don't know. If either, do you feel it coming on yourself, or does, how does it work from your personal? Perspective? No, not
2: not at all. There's a lot of people, right. unfortunately, that are like myself. Most, the majority of people with epilepsy have no idea that they're going to have a seizure. It's wow. uh, But I'm. I still class myself as very lucky in the fact that I don't have seizures very often. I haven't had one for five or six years. Yes, I take medication just in the morning, but it's not the end of the world. It's just a case of just setting an alarm on my phone and that because I'll take your tablets and off you go. And I'm ex- unless I'm having a seizure, I'm exactly the same as the rest of the world. It's not a condition that, I'll, I always say that epilepsy is a condition I live with. It's not a disability I suffer from. Because to me, that's how my life is. It's something I have, I can't change that. I'll always be epileptic, even if I don't have seizures for another 10 years, because you never know when I may have one. It's the same as people that have gambling problems or something like that. They'll always have that addiction in the fact that they can't move away from it. It's the same with epilepsy, it's just something you always have. But it hasn't, it made life hard, because you lose your driving license for a year. So if I have a seizure, say tonight, for a year, I can't drive. And as you can imagine, trying to get around covering a football match. Very, very bad.
0: difficult. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. It makes
2: it very hard, especially night games, when you are then struggling to try and find trains to get home again. Mm. So, and, and obviously, it's very disheartening. It's very upsetting if you have a seizure because, well, at the end of the day, you aren't at your best. You know, you basically lie on the floor, you shake, your eyes roll, you bite on your tongue. You know, you were yeah. a really attractive person at the time.
0: Well, it's, it's disconcerting for those who are, I mean, that was my memory of it. It's discon- you just don't know what to do. Um, no. I mean, obviously, it's, there's the fear exactly. of injury. You don't want to hurt yourself. And mm-hmm. that's, that I guess, is the main, main, the main thing you're looking out for.
2: Yeah, it's very easy, actually. So anybody that wants to know what to do, pay attention now. Yeah? Okay. But basically, if somebody has a seizure, if you, if, if the main danger actually is the fall. Because if you pass out, you go very limp. If you have a seizure, you go ridiculously tense, tenser than you can naturally. Right. And so if I had a seizure standing up, I'm going to smash into either a table or the wall or whatever that may be. So Most it's get people... you on the
0: floor, get you on the floor as fast as possible. Without...
2: Or, or, or wherever safely. Okay. If people, can, people can have a seizure up against a wall. That's fine if you can just keep them roughly in the same place. Never restrict them because people will naturally thrash out. It's yeah. The best way, if possible, is to try and get them to the floor, leave them to it, move everything out of the way, Leave them to it. If you can, find a cushion or maybe an item of clothing to put under their head because they might be banging their head on the floor. Um, and once they've finished the seizure, put them into the recovery position and call an ambulance somewhere within that when safe to. And that's it. There's no – you don't have to worry. Some people think you have to put a spoon in somebody's mouth to stop them swallowing their tongue. That's right. an absolute cobbler's. I can't swallow my tongue now just because I'm having a seizure doesn't mean I've become some sort of tongue or rather than <laughs> suddenly flick it, flick it back. The, the problem will be because you're biting down on your tongue, you're, yeah. making, a, you're making a gurgly noise and obviously blood will come out blood, of your mouth yeah. with saliva. So people naturally think, oh, Christ, he's choking. I need to do something. <laughs> no, leave us alone, basically. We're a proud breed. <laughs> so, but no, be, being serious though, yeah, it's very, very simple. Help them to the ground move everything out of the way, leave them to it, and when they're finished, put them in the recovery position. It's that simple.
0: That's an education for me, Carl. I really appreciate that, mate. That's Um, fine.
2: And and what I'm actually doing is I'm now going to plug my own book. Um, I'm actually in the middle of writing a book called Fitting In, which is um, about how, um, how I became a football commentator with epilepsy. So I'm blending the two together so you can hear about what it's like in more detail than obviously what we've just briefly discussed about coming to terms with epilepsy, the seizures that I've had in my life, the trouble, the awful thing I had to do when I had to explain to my son when he's six years old that, you know, I have epilepsy, Ed, yeah. you're going to, ha- if I have a seizure and it's just me and you, this is what you need to do. Um, speak, obviously the problems it causes my wife, if I'm stressed or tired, she then naturally worries. Yeah. So there's that side of it. And there's also how, you know, I'll give you that brief description again of how I got into football commentary. So just sort of running them together to see that even though I'm epileptic, you can still, you know, achieve anything you want to if you're, I don't know, a bit lucky and work hard, I suppose.
0: Great stuff. Well, that's a book I'd love to read when it comes out, Carl. So um, more strength to you on that front, mate. Really appreciate you talking about that and the other bits and pieces across the show today. It's been great speaking to you. Thanks yeah, no, I've
2: nice. enjoyed being on here. So by all means, invite me on again.
0: Well, I shall, I shall certainly take you up on that option. Big thank you to Carl Bates. Keep an ear out for him on iFollow, which will be this Saturday, Mill versus Cardiff. Do you fa- score prediction from you, Carl. What do you, what do you fancy? I mean, you, you never do this on, on your iFollow, but I'm going to pin no, you down. As, you, as you're on a podcast, I'm going to pin you <laughs> down to a, a pre-match opinion. Do you fancy us at home to Cardiff, return of Neil Harris? Very strange event in itself, but there we are.
2: Yeah, I'm going to go for 1-0 Millwall and... Hutchinson to get the goal there you oh, go there you go
0: my player of the season so far Sean Hutchinson huge <laughs> thank you Carl Bates I'm going to let you crack along the afternoon mate wonderful stuff um, and I'll be back with uh, another Achtung Mew next week dear listeners so until then it's Arrivederci from me and Arrivederci from Carl it is indeed thanks very much thank you for
1: listening to Achtung Mule. if you enjoyed the show please go over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a team little all have mm-hmm. Till next time.